When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and on tonight's show I'm going to be joined by the Anderson brothers, Tony and Craig. They're not brothers at all for anybody who listened for the first time. And the man himself, Joel Sked. We'll be looking back at the five games in the Scottish Premiership, one by one, where there wasn't a whole lot of big surprises. I think the only match not won by the favourite going into it was the game at Tanadice, but there was certainly a lot of talking points and three last-minute winners as well, which you always like to see, even though it's not quite as special when there's no fans there to go absolutely mental at the sight of one. But still, lots to talk about. Enjoy the show. First up on the podcast is Craig Anderson. Craig, hello. How's everything going? Oh, good. How are you? Ah, I'm not too bad, not too bad. Right, so we shall begin with the game. Let's go to the game that was at Easter Road first. Why not? Uh, let's have Hibs at the start of the show two weeks in a row. Eh? Who says I'm biased? Eh? Well, I definitely am, but, <laughs> but that's besides <laughs> you're the point. You're, you're literally sitting there wearing a maroon T-shirt, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's got an American flag on it. It's got no connotation to hearts and... <laughs> Because this mirror is definitely not one of the reasons why I bought it. Yes, it is. Uh, right, so let's get with the game. Hibs won, Hibs won 3-2, uh, which does certainly not paint any sort of accurate picture of how this game went. Uh, I think it would be more accurate if it was 32-0 to uh, rather than 3-2 Hibs because I stopped watching it 3-0. I, I just, and the fact that it finished 3-2 was just mind-boggling to me. I was like, the game I watched, Hibs could have been up by double figures. How the hell did this end up a one-score game? But... Overall, a thoroughly deserved victory. They ran right over Hamilton from pretty much the first minute. And yeah, while they might have made it a tiny bit nervous at the end, it's still, like, for, for most of the game, they were just 
doing whatever they pleased, really. Yeah, I think the the thing for Hibs is you look, you just look at that starting eleven and the the four real, I mean, four players who you could essentially say could be centre forwards at times with um, you know Boyle and Murphy have both played there, and then you've got Doidge and Nisbet. Uh, I've said a few times I'm unconvinced as to whether they are really a perfect two, Doidge and Nisbet, but Nisbet seems to be doing a lot more outside the box than I thought he was going to. So he's impressed me. Um, quite a lot and he obviously got he got a couple of goals in this game but he's impressed me um, the game that impressed me the most was one he didn't score in was, was against Rangers and I just think he the amount of work he does in terms of linking play up is something I didn't really expect from him um, and so I think that that's a really potent attack that Hibs have got even before you kind of start talking about adding new players in which they may still do yeah oh no undoubtedly the fact that Deutsch hasn't well I don't think Deutsch has he's kind of been struggling a little to, to find the neck for what he was kind of the hot streak that he was on uh, considering like although he has said that he goes through these kind of peaks and troughs uh, Deutsch has said this before that he kind of when he when he's scoring he scores every week and then he doesn't score for a while so <laughs> well, we saw we saw that last season certainly yeah, yeah. Right. so maybe he's ready for another absolute glut of goals to come like Him, Himalayan levels of peaks and troughs and like you know the the moon roads that maybe other people go through <laughs> yeah I yeah this bit I deserves all the credit like I was I was skeptical coming into this season I think with fairly good reason I thought that making the step up two seasons in a row would be a little too much, especially in his first campaign. I thought he might need a little bit of time to, to settle in and to get kind of used to the speed of the top flight. He seemed to only need... I mean, he scored, he scored the hat-trick against Livingston, but I think his first month in general, maybe the performances weren't quite there. But since... Probably since the St Mirren game, where, again, he was maybe not at his best, I think he's been pretty, pretty good, or very good, in every match since then. And he's certainly proven that he's been worth the money, and that there wasn't that the doubts of him being a top-flight player were unfounded. Yeah, I think I think you, I had those same worries, and I thought Shanklin would would comfortably outperform him this season as the two kind of big name players coming up from the championship. I still think Shanklin will do well, and obviously it helps that Nisbet actually has some good players around about him, unlike Shanklin. But I think. I'm not. I'm not so confident in that assertion anymore. I would certainly say, um, but it, it was. It wasn't just about him. He obviously got got a couple of goals, but but Hibs have just got um, got a lot of quality in attack now. And um, um, never never mentioned there, Joe Newell, who's um, had a much better um, season than what we saw from him last season. I, I was really impressed with the the quality of the cross he put in for the second goal. But he's just a player who he seems very two footed. Um, he seems you know quite a natural. Football, and I think that's the type of player uh, Jack Ross quite likes. Is someone um, he obviously had Lewis Morgan and he's um, to Midden team, and and I think that he's he's in. I'm not saying he's the same type of player, but he's kind of got that same thing about him. And I think McAllister, who uh, sorry McGinnis, I keep getting the two of them mixed up. It's a Midden McGinnis, who they are trying to sign or presumably are signing, probably falls into the same bracket. So they're certainly a sort of type of player that Jack Ross likes and um, so it's maybe not been too much of a surprise to see Newell thriving a bit this season um, but I just think that that quality across to cut in from from the right hand side and um, you know swing one over with his left foot and he is so inviting for Nisbet to attack for that second goal and then it's, it's very pleasing to see a goal battering off the underside of the bar as well Oh, always nice always aesthetically pleasing 
Yeah, uh, yeah Neil, uh, myself and Craig here have talked about some of the Patreons over the weekend. The player of the month, I had Neil in my top five. I thought he was very good in every single game, even in the... The 3-0 defeat to Celtic, I thought he was his best player and he's somebody who I think it's been proven beyond measure that he is a centre midfielder and not a winger, as Paul Heckenbottom. To be fair, he had played the wing before, he's played in both positions, but I think even he said when he first came in that he's, his natural position is in the centre of the park, he can play on the, on the, on the wing. Well, it's, it's doubtful whether he can or not, considering his performances in a hip shot when he's done it, but um, when he's played in the centre, he, does, uh, he, he certainly looks a better player and... It worked for Hibs, their kind of, their, the kind of tactical manoeuvre they did in this one uh, with going back to the, the four. With, they did go back to the four, didn't they? I'm not just making yeah, that up. Yeah. yeah, with Jamie Murphy on the left of midfield, that meant Dre Wright dropped it at the side. You can maybe, there was maybe a bit of a worry that Hamilton, who were, were always likely to play a three-man midfield, uh, midfield three, I mean like in the centre, that you could get overrun because Hibs have had that problems in the 4-4-2 this season when they've played against the opposition that have got that extra man in there. It happened in the Dundee United game. It happened in the Motherwell game. And, but I think when it's with... I was going to say with all due respect to Aki's why? why? We make fun of them every week. Why would I do all due respect? Because it was Aki's coming to town, I think he thought, ah, fuck it, we'll just go back to the 4-4-2. And even if they, they make it difficult... Difficult for us in the centre. We've got enough weapons elsewhere to, to really punish them. And okay. Hamilton didn't make it difficult for them anywhere. I don't know how much. I mean, Sean Wan, and not that Sean Wan is, uh, is anything approaching a good player, but Sean Wan going off like after 15 minutes, I don't know how much that affects him. I think when you're you're setting up for a game like this, it's obviously one of the tougher away games Hamilton will face. You, don't, you definitely don't want to plan for it all week and then suddenly have a player kind of drop out and obviously when Warren goes off it's um, it's Monroe who comes on who who definitely isn't a centre half and so it, it meant a kind of reshuffle so I don't know if that impacted them to some extent but I suspect that they were going to take a battering regardless to be honest because they, they just in a game like this if they don't start off well and they don't kind of get the first goal or they don't kind of end up in the front foot they're just always prone to doing that Hamilton you've seen them you know, against Rangers and Celtic, and if they don't start well, you really fear for them, and that and that's probably so here. And yeah, they'll probably stay up, but I think I think they this is the worst worst incarnation since they came up. Yeah, um, and I always wonder what the hell. Would be fair to say what Templeton providing a wee bit of quality, but beyond that. Well, that, that's going to kind of lead me on to my point is that sorry, I, sorry. I, I, I said, I said, no, it's fine. I said, uh, I said last week that I thought Aki's had kind of, I could see where they were going with their kind of strongest 11. So you have, so they played a 3-5-2. I think they've played a four at times this season, but they played a 3-5-2, a temple on, in the hole and had two massive strikers ahead of them. And I think they, they started off with Andy, Andy Winter, in the first half, and then he was very poor, and he was taken off, and they brought on Okinpo, said Okinpo, and Owalabi, and both of them just kind of, were just very hard for the opposition defence to, to deal with them, and then it meant Templeton could pick up the kind of scraps, and weave his kind of magic, and have a bit more space, and a bit more freedom in which to work, where the centre-halves have got too much on their hands, to really kind of worry about him, and you have to either sacrifice a midfielder, or look after him, or he's going to be able to, to operate in these wee spaces, in the final third. So, 
I thought they'd come on to that in the, the game against Dundee. I thought, yes, this makes sense. Brian Rice apparently did not agree. Brian Rice instead started this game in a 3-5-2 with David Templeton and Andy, Andy Winter, the guy who was so poor the week before that he was taken off half-time, up front together. And pretty much what surely must be the smallest strike force, or at least the, the kind of, in terms of like muscle strength, the, the, the weakest strike force that's probably going to start a game in, in Sc- the Scottish top flight this season. I always remember watching one of those, like I think it was in Nick Hancock Football Nightmares DVD, and they were obviously scraping the barrel by this point because one of the features they had was just a Chelsea team that had three really small strikers. Um, I'm, um, I'm sure um, the Scottish guy was one of them, and he's, uh, John Spencer was one of them. John uh, Spencer, um, Mark Stein, I think would have been with them because yeah, he was quite um, small. I was going to say someone Nichols, but I can't remember. Um, but but yeah, it was very much like that. And, and Winter's someone that I think they have really high hopes for at Akizanki. He's still only 18, so there's still obviously plenty of time for him. But I've certainly not seen much um, so far. Um, and, and then again, he, he, he went off very quickly to be replaced by Ogunpo again. And Ogunpo, at least, I mean, he's, he's, we know he's not a good, good player, but as you said, it at least gives defenders a bit more to think about. And, and I mean, you saw him, um, you know, um, win a penalty um, in the second half and stuff like that. So The only thing I could think was that he's gone with this lineup because he's wanting to just, he's concentrating 100% on trying to hit Hibs on the counter-attack. And that's it. He's not really thinking about anything else. So you have these, but again, that's a bit weird as well, because even though he's kind of like quick of foot, David Templeton's not quick over 20 yards. <laughs> like, so it's still a bit of a weird thing to do. And, but even then, like, if that's what your game plan is, don't play like Scott McMahon as your left wing back. Like, there's just so much wrong with that team. And you can see, like, even during the game, like, when the ball would kind of drop into these areas and they would have a bit of space in the midfield because they had an extra man in the centre midfield. The midfield was Callaghan, Martin and Will Collar. Uh, Collar was, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not really much more needs to be said about his performance. Uh, and, but he, was, Mark, he was doing, even when he was out injured or suspended, he was doing co-commentary on one of the games on Aki's TV and I think that might, that might be a, a better role to employ him in. <laughs> but Martin was the one get, like, getting the ball in these areas and Scott Martin is not that type of player. Like, he's not, he's somebody who can, like... Uh, if you're to to be kind on him as an attacker, his kind of threats is kind of like running through the lines with the ball. Even then, he doesn't do it that often. He's more of just a spoiler. He's somebody who works hard. He's somebody who you want to stick beside your talented player to do a lot of the work for them, not have him like basically being the most advanced of a midfield three. And it's just, it was just a team selection to me made absolutely no sense whatsoever. I've I kind of put it out on on Twitter. It was the Sky Sports one was wrong because I had it four four two, but. Basically, you just had to tilt it slightly, and that was what the team was. And like there was, there was fans saying, "This is what Rice does. He tends to start with a weaker team and then bring on like stronger players to win the game off the bench." I'm like, "This what? The fuck is what? This? this is not basketball. Like, what the fuck is this?" Hey, okay, you've got five subs, but you've still not got eleven. So. Um... <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. Start with your best team. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe don't wait until you're three 0 down to start playing. Um, the, the one thing for Hibs, I would say, is like that. This has been a bit of a pattern under Ross. It seems. I mean, it's not happened as much recently, but when when he took over, they squandered leads quite a lot. There were, there were certainly a few games just after he took over where they were they were two goals up and, and couldn't hold on. There's definitely one against Kelly where they uh, Easter Road last season, and and it, and it happened a few times. I don't know if there is a wee mentality thing there that's maybe not quite been ironed out because that's a game that they should be cruising and then to be, okay, there was only very, very mild panic at the end because Hamilton never really created anything, no. but you should not be from 3-0 up ever having to 
worry about winning the game. And to be, you could also say as well, I mean, the one thing you can maybe throw to Hamilton, and I suppose that if Aki's fans listen to this, we'll be saying, you, you surely have to mention this, and we will. Hibs uh, should have been reduced to 10 men at 2-0. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was very much a red card, because I think what McGinn's actually trying to do is um, film before he gets into the box. Mm-hmm. And he, and he just mistimes it and fills him in the box. But it's very much not a, not a, a genuine attempt to play the ball. I think um, it's a really bad decision. I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about how bad decision it is. What you're supposed to do to get away for, with a booking in that instance is you're supposed to basically make a slide challenge, like a genuine attempt to play the ball as a slide challenge. Yeah, McGinn might... You say you reckon it's uh, intentional. I think it's intentional as well. He's certainly putting his hands on him and he, he knows what he's doing while he's running across the back of him. Uh, Tony was saying he, he thought it was unintentional, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's unintentional or not. You have to be trying to play the ball. It's basically a slide tackle and you're late. And that's the only way you're supposed to be allowed to get away with doing that kind of challenge in the box. And then the, the double jeopardy rule or triple jeopardy or whatever you want to call it doesn't come into force in that stage. But this has been a criticism of this law change. And I was behind the law change. I thought it made sense. You don't want to kind of, you know, possibly ruin games by, you know, penalty, red card, send it off. Um, chances are they'll score as well. And, and sometimes that can ruin games before they even get started. But so many referees, and it's not just in Scotland, are just, unless it's 100% certain, like unless it's somebody's just clearly gone across and just booted them, like clipped the heel so obviously, referees never, like, are so reticent to send guys off. They just produce a book and it's a cop-out and it's shit. It's a really shit decision. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it actually yeah. annoys me. Uh, I mean, having watched Hamilton play against 10, 10 men last week, they'd have probably lost 5 now if, yeah, probably if he had gone off. Um, but the um, yeah, it's the fact that McGinn is then pointing to say it's outside the box, and it's like, well, if it's outside the box, you're going off. Um, no. He should have gone off anyway, but if it's outside the box, you definitely are. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't really, I didn't really ever like the the change. And I, I know it made sense for for the reasons that you described, but I think the fact that Hibs. They didn't really weren't really penalised for giving away a penalty. Cause I mean, okay, yeah, they were because Ogunpo had a chance. It was Ogunpo, wasn't it? It's a chance yeah. to, and it was a dreadful penalty. On compared to like the the Calcum one later on, no, it was, was good. Such a very good hit. Um, something that I wouldn't have expected from him. But and you see from behind the goal as well, Ogunpo's one. Like Marciano's making it so clear he's going to that side. Uh, and for him to not even put it in the corner was like, so he's obviously not watching Marciano's run up, and to not even put it in the corner was like rubbish. You're a forward. Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't mind penalties for a guy like blasts it, and, and you know the keeper makes a good save, or even he blasts it and hits the post or something. But if you're if you're doing that, he's he's going to save it like a lot of the time. Like at least, just, I, mean, I sound like your dad. Just put your foot through, it and at least you're giving yourself a chance. Like, um, but yeah, yeah. It's, uh, Right, we should probably move on for this one um, because, yeah, regardless of that, penalty just to decision. say that it's such a cheap foul to give away from Portress, like for the second penalty, it's like the the possession on the park, he's going absolutely nowhere um, as well. But he he certainly he was play, he was playing absolutely fine up until then, and then he just has like fifteen minutes of madness, which kind of is as Ryan Portis like composed quite quite um, yeah quite a cultured defender a lot of the time like he, he, he's passing out the back and stuff's fine he, he, he looks quite a solid centre half and then he just has these moments where he just loses it and I've got some sympathy with the own goal in the sense that it's a wee bit unlucky but he gets caught under the ball in the first place which is why he's kind of stretching to, to not that so I think it's like I've just been called up to the Scotland squad like 
You need to be better than that. <laughs> yeah. I said uh, when he was called up, he's got football threats, and I think that was born out in this game. He just can't. He seems to have these moments every game where he has to do something that's like, oh, what are you doing there? But yeah, he's young. He'll learn, hopefully. Um, right, let's move on to the game at McDermott Park. Celtic beating St. Johnson 2 0. Again, a scoreline that does not reflect what happened in the game because I think 0 0 would have been definitely the most deserved score from this one. It's a really abject performance from Celtic by their standards. And I'm not even going to. St. Johnson, a very good defensive performance from St. Johnson. But I'm thinking people are going well over the fucking top in some of the praise for, for Callum Davidson's side because a Celtic team playing that badly at home, I still think you need to do more in attack than have one good chance the entire game. Yeah, I think I think the problem they had is like um, they, they essentially matched Celtic up man for man across the entire pitch. So that, so their front three were playing against Celtic's three defenders. They had the wing backs pushed against Celtic's wing backs, or, or at least in the attacking third. And then they had um, kind of in the middle of the park, just kind of matching up. And so that meant there was there was not really any when they tried to attack. The same was true. There were Celtic players there all the time, and Stevie May was doing such a great job outside the box, but. When your striker does such a good job outside the box, it sacrifices what they're good at inside the box. And therefore, you, you, they didn't create much. And, and the player who I, I think is supposed to be the one who makes it tick in the middle of the park, McCann, I thought had a particularly poor game yeah, at the ball. Yeah, he didn't play well at all. Um, and that that's what they're relying on, someone like him being able to either pick, pick a pass or at the very least not give it away every time he got it, which is kind of what happened. Because defensively, he did a really good job, as the rest of them did, yeah. in terms of um, picking up their opponents. Um, I, thought Craig, I thought Craig Conway was another one who didn't have a good game on the ball, but again, had a good game off it. But, but that's why those players are there. It's fine if you say Danny McNamara has a good game off the ball and not on it, or you know Jason Kerr, but McCann and Conway are the two um, creative players in that St. Johnson team and they need to do better and that's what yeah a, a St. Johnson team of uh, two years ago playing against that Celtic team with a presumably well, you would think with a one um, it just yeah there was very much a missed opportunity for them Celtic I have not seen Celtic play well in a long time um, I didn't see the, the Sarajevo game in midweek but I heard that they were quite okay but I, I heard you talking about it Riga, they were atrocious. Dundee United, the, I think the previous game I saw, awful as well. I, I've kind of been thinking for a while that I think at the moment Rangers are a better team than Celtic. I still think Celtic will win the league, but I think Celtic are dragging themselves through this kind of on, on the fumes, essentially, yeah. at this point. And they're really dragging themselves. The thing is, as well, is that looking at some of these games... I do. I just think that some of these victories they've managed to pull out will be the big victories that, that get them the title at the end of the season because they do have this ability to do this that Rangers don't quite have as much. And I'll, we'll, I'll literally put in the, the stats in this in like an article like a few weeks ago where like over the last three years when both teams have been going in the last 15 minutes of matches needing a goal, Celtic find it something like 60% of the time. And Rangers, something like 20% of the time. They seem a bit as likely to concede in yeah. the list. But and yeah. that's, and I think, I think a lot of, I think a reason for Celtic's poor play over a lot of this is that they have, Rangers have had it as well, but Rangers' only really player uh, that's garnered a lot of serious interest. I'm sorry, there's been two Ryan Kent, one, and um, Alfredo Morelos, the other. But Ryan Kent kind of seems like he's 
aware that he's in a situation right now where he could still be better. He's not reached probably the full heights. He's had months at a time where he's looked really good, um, but he's not put it together for an entire season. Once he does that, he can maybe then say, okay, right, I've done my bit in Scottish football. Now I'll go back to England and give it another chance. I think he knows he's in a, a good situation now for him to thrive. Odson Edward, I think, knows he's completed Scottish football and wants to go. And I think it's true over a lot of those Celtic players. I think Christopher Iyer's the same. I think Cham's the same. There's probably even there's talk that Ryan Christie, uh, because he's not signed a new contract, maybe looking as well. I think a lot of these Celtic players... Well, I don't think... I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these Celtic players suddenly start playing very well again once the transfer window closed and there's no sort of speculation over their immediate future. Again, same might happen for Morelos at Rangers uh, when the transfer window closed. He will kind of knuckle down because we've seen it with, with him before. But at the same time, I, I do think that this is Celtic's. This could be Celtic's rough spell, and they've still only dropped points once all season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to tell. I just, I've just, I, I, I wasn't quite old enough to be going to away games and stuff at the time. But it's, uh, when when Rangers were going for ten in a row and they kind of eventually surrendered it, losing to Kelly at um, Ibrox. I've watched highlights for that game a few times. And it's like they're going through the motions. It's like you can see all the players, like they know what they're, it's like Ali McCoy's kind of run about up front and you know what they know what they're supposed to do. But they're just like that yard too slow to absolutely everything. And Celtic shouldn't be like that because they're not an old team. They're, they're mainly a young team. But there, there is just that sense of like they're spluttering along at the moment. And, and as you say, maybe they will get better. But, but what happens if they don't? Um, that, that's the thing. What, what I thought was interesting was um, for all the talk of Scott Brown, and, and I think it's been write a lot of it about how how much he, um, he his performances have regressed a bit. He was missed today because they they could do with someone just to do something a bit different, just to drag them through. It was just like everything was very, very pedestrian. And Scott Brown is, is a lot of things, but pedestrian is not. You know, he, yeah. he would he would charge with the ball and he would probably give it away. Or he would try and force it and play a bad pass. But when a team is frustrating you, you just need to take chances and. That's that's I think a criticism certainly for um, of McGregor for me is he's not necessarily a player that takes a lot of chances, and I actually thought it was interesting because the two, the way that Celtic were making kind of aggressive passes was from both the fullbacks into the feet of Edward all the time, and Edward normally can turn someone, but that wasn't happening. But Celtic didn't have a lot else. But I thought it was actually interesting in the ten, if it was even ten minutes, um, when McGregor was kind of playing in Taylor's role that you actually saw quite a lot from him. And, and as much as the experiment of Callum McGregor at left-back obviously ended very badly in um, all the occasions I've done it, I do wonder if, about McGregor in that left-wing-back role because they've been talking about, I think rightly, that, that Taylor, as much as he, he gets himself up the park, it's, he doesn't like that space and, and you don't see the, see the best of him. Could McGregor play that role um, better? I think he could. Yeah. I need to eat a little bit of humble pie in the Scott Brown thing because I just assumed that Celtic have got to a stage now where they were a better team without him in the side because he, especially in the 3-5-2, wasn't providing a whole lot on the ball. But I think you could tell from today, he's still the kind of heart and soul of that team and he, he holds other players to a standard that, for whatever reason, they might not reach without with him out of the side. But at the same time, while I'm going to say that I've got it a little bit wrong on Scott Brown, what the fuck does that say about that Celtic team that... It, it could fall to pieces like that without Brown in the starting eleven. Do, do you think it's like that? He's such a big character that the other players just rely on, and the other players don't need to step up. They don't need to be leaders. I, I don't see a lot of leaders in that Celtic team. I see a lot of good players, but how many of them? How many of them do you think have it in them to actually 
drag that's, a team through a game? That's a really good question. I don't, there's not much to, because even like guys like, you guys like Christie and McGregor, guys who kind of push the issue, they're not kind of, they don't look like your kind of stereotypical captain leader kind of guy. McGregor had the armband today and I think he was trying to make things happen and the ball just wasn't really happening for him, but he doesn't seem like somebody who has the same kind of gravitas as, as Brown, somebody who's really going to hold teammates accountable for, for their actions. Brown seems like that kind of guy, even though like he is well-known off the park for being kind of a nice guy and a lot of the times quite quiet and stuff, um, like away from kind of his, the kind of persona that he puts on. But still, that persona works on, on the football pitch uh, and it, it's, it's helped Celtic win nine titles, uh, even more obviously because he's been there since like 2007, I think, when he first joined. But uh, yeah, you're right. I think it's like... Guys like Christy, guys like Christy McGregor just seem too nice. Yeah, Christy, he's a, he's a, he's probably in the same boat. Like he, he can be a bit dirty on the part, but yeah, you, you never get the sense of like a burning desire to win from Christy. Um, I, I'm a massive fan. I, I think he's. I've, I've thought for a long time he's probably the most talented um, footballer in the league. But I think he's had a, had a pretty poor season so far. I think, he, as you said, I think he wants um, by his standards. I think for Scotland and Celtic, I think he. he wants out I, I think I've I don't think he thinks he needs to be at Celtic anymore the only other players like Ayer is the one that you maybe say well he's got that kind of aggressiveness but he's just more of an arsehole than <laughs> a genuine you know what I mean like he, he's not he's still young but he's not like dragging the team as much as he's like shouting at referees but while yes. Scott Brown does that he also gets out his teammates that's not to say I mean Celtic there'll be plenty of games where Celtic will play without Scott Brown and play much better but I think there are, there are just a lot of issues with that squad and as you say maybe the, the window closing will help and maybe missing guys like Forrest who could probably make a bit of a difference in a game like that where he, he can just get past someone and just a wee, a wee bit of quality in the wide areas but there, there was not a lot to be positive about and there's not been a lot to be positive about in a, any game I've watched Celtic since they beat Hamilton in the opening day and that's Hamilton I still don't think the three five two suits them. Uh, the only the only reason for the three five two is that is that they clearly have if, if Griffiths is now fit and, and like and fit and focused. I think is what Andy Walker said. If he's that, they have three very good forwards, and even Klamala showed stuff off the bench today that I don't think he's necessarily shown in a lot of games. We've kind of been. I've been up and down on Klamala so far. There is something there. I don't think he's quite Celtic standard, but they're certainly. As I've said before, he's certainly preferable to not playing a forward at all. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, that goal that he scores, like he, he takes a hit and it would be very easy to stay down, but he's like, no, I want to score. So he's straight back up and, um, and battles it in. And Griffiths, like, for all the talk of St Johnston's um, defensive performance, which was very good, how on earth can you believe in Lee Griffiths? Like, what, what's going on there? They like, just, uh, they just don't get themselves set up at all after the, the, the set piece at the other end. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's not just because it's the fact that McCart is at, is at left wing back and Tanzer's at centre half when the cross comes in and McCart and McCann, I think it's more McCart's fault, both of them go to the guy with the ball, I can't remember who it was now, and it's El... El... Um, El Hamid? Aye, El Hamid. Um, goes, aye, well, it goes down the outside and it's an easy cross from a pick at Griffiths. For Griffiths, I need to actually, I meant to look at it one more time to see who it was, but he, when the move was developing, he was like so far back, basically in midfield. And I think just because of the fact that they were still kind of coming back and, you know, trying to get themselves reorganised after a set piece, nobody, I think midfielders left them 
to the centre backs. Centre backs had no idea where he was because I think in the chat people blamed Jason Kerr. I think you see in the replays, Kerr's marking Klamala and he's a, he's just the one. He's the one that looks back because he realises at the last second that Griffiths is free and about to head the ball in the back of net. So he breaks off to try and do something, but by that point it's too late. Yeah, I think I think it's like. Griffith, he doesn't score a lot of headers, but he's definitely got that in him. You, you just can't leave a guy of that quality. And as you say, are they doing the right thing at the set piece? Because is the risk of trying to gain two points better than the, the possibility of I would always, I don't, I, don't I would always go for it, just because I just think the times that you get the old from in that situation yeah. where you can actually maybe beat them, it, it comes around far too, like far too few times in like, in the space of a decade, let alone yeah. like in a season or something. So I think with that opportunity there, you have to kind of roll the dice. But the thing, the thing for me is if you're going to deliver that ball there, you should be erring on the side of it going out for a goal kick, not getting blocked short, which is what happened. Because um, yeah. that's what that's what sets up, ultimately sets you up. And, and it's not like a blistering counter-attack. It's still, you know, 50, it feels like 15, 20 seconds for a goal. It wasn't like, you know, burst straight up the park and passed you off the park. But... St. Johnston didn't have their shape back in in the I think it was the eighteen was it the was it the ninetieth minute? They were that's not what you want because it's when Celtic are dangerous as well. Um yeah. but yes, it was a frustrating one for me because I thought I thought St. Johnston did deserve the point, but ultimately you have to create some chances as well and, and they didn't do that. Yeah, they only created one really Craig Conway's chance, which you should have scored. It's a it's a great chance, but other than that I mean, there was barely any chances the entire fucking game. It was a rubbish game of football to watch. It was only becoming more and more interesting. You're like, oh, are Celtic actually not going to score today? Because with about, I mean, even at the end, like, you still didn't actually see, I didn't see a goal coming. I think some people did because it's just Celtic and you just assume they're going to score. But I was just like, they just look so pedestrian and out of ideas. Like, I just actually didn't see that goal coming. Uh, and I actually was... The only time I thought it was when they were going back in that set piece and I was kind of watching the defenders. I was like, and they look a wee bit all over the place here. <laughs> and so it proved. Right, I think that'll do us. Um, thank you very much for joining me, Craig. Oh, no worries, good to speak to you. Right, cheers. And now welcome Joel Sked onto the podcast. Joel, how's it going? Good, thank you. A couple of good games to talk about here. Good. It's good, it's a bit of a stretch. A couple of uh, interesting... Yes. Dramatic last-minute winner games. Okay, yes, yes, because there's certainly one game here that's uh, one of the worst I've seen, never <laughs> quality-wise. <laughs> yeah, that was why I kind of, it was kind of why I pulled back from good a little bit there. Uh, let's begin with the game I think you're talking about. Uh, that is Dundee United against Livingston. Yes, yeah, oh, it's, I watched it, so I watched the first 15, uh, watched the first half hour, and the first thing I put in my notes was the first 15 minutes were one of the worst spells of football I've seen, certainly this season, and watched, watched end up watching the whole game, went up for a walk after half an hour, I was like, that's, life's only, uh, life's only uh, too short, uh, life's too short, sorry, for, uh, for, for this but then I went and read the comments on Pine Bovril a lot of Livingston fans were very happy with the performance I've seen people mention it was their best performance of the season on Twitter which I think says a lot about Livingston's season so far <laughs> but they did they, what, what I should say is that they thoroughly deserved to win and they probably should have won more comfortably yeah I think um, maybe first yeah maybe about tw- I th- I around about 20-25 minutes I think it's when they started to, to- like pick up the the pace a little bit. It was pretty much as soon as Nicky Clark scored 
And again, I'm going to ask questions of Rodbury McCrory. They are not yes. so much, not so much in getting over more just the fact that he's in charge of setting up that wall, and it didn't look that hard for Clark to bend it round. Yeah, so that's that was a big takeaway for me from that goal. Was watched it back a few times. Guffrey, Guffrey kind of shifts himself inside. Just almost flinches rather than uh, gets out the road. There should have been enough. There should, with the position of that free kick, there should have been a fifth man in that wall. Speaking as a former goalkeeper myself, <laughs> with, uh, you knew they were going to hit it because they had they had uh, was it Sporla and Nicky Clark standing okay. over, it, and both were shaping to uh, the score. So, and the fact that McCrory was so far over to his right hand side, you'd think that he maybe want extra protection. So, Clark didn't have to bend it that much. It wasn't like Roberto no. Carlos bend that he's 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 whipped around the wall there. So that that is something that definitely kind of falls on McCrory's shoulders. That he's the one that's lined lined them up. He's lined up wrong. He's not got this uh, same uh, the correct number in there. And then the, the probably the least um, the least thing his fault is he doesn't start moving until the ball's round the round the wall. So usually, as soon as he kicked it, goalkeepers usually on their move, and you can get a decent ideas of goalkeeper that which distance uh, which place is going to. He actually gets across very quickly for the way he reacts but yeah it's uh, I thought there was um, I thought there were there were problems with that goal he's he's kind of like I think probably seen as like the kind of shining prospect for Scotland in terms of goalkeeping for, for yeah. the future and well, we've seen these guys before in recent years uh, Jack, Jack Hamilton Xander mm. Clark yep probably say Ryan Fulton as well None of them have really panned out. I do have my doubts about McCrory. I know it's early in his career, but if you, if, all I could really judge him by is what I've seen from Scottish goalkeepers that are have or, or are now or were till recently the kind of number ones for Scotland. So you're talking mm. about David Marshall, Alan, Alan McGregor and Craig Gordon and all of them look much better than Rory McCrory does at the moment. Yeah, definitely. I've not seen, there's not been an... There's not been nearly enough that's uh, encouraging me or even convincing me that he's going to be uh, the next a Rangers goalkeeper, let alone a uh, Scotland international for for X length of time. There's parts of his game which I do like. He's quite proactive off the line, not especially against United. He was, he was very quick to react to things, but over the piece like you, there's over what we've seen so far going back from this uh, last season into this. I was really excited to see him make that step up from Queen of the South we had read rave reviews to Livingston after the um, oh man who, uh, who 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 went Sarkic who was really good and it, McCrory just is, has not been as good as him and there's understandable why some Livingston fans have calls for Strake to get a, ch- a chance because he was excellent against Rangers yeah uh, yeah it does and you as you can probably Yes, it just inevitably leads to all this talk that, oh, I wonder if there's a clause in the, in the deal that says McCrory has to play every week. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I wonder. I always wonder how real these things are or how much clubs... I think there must be something that you can get out of them, like some sort of money. Because imagine like, you loan somebody a player and he was so bad, but you had to play him like, as part of the deal. Like, surely there's some sort of like minor fee you could just like, okay, we'll play this just so we don't have to play him anymore. And not that McCrory's that bad, but you know, it, just every time there's a underperforming loan player and a player behind them who might be better. Although it's hard to tell. I've only seen, you know, Strake like once, uh, I think, so far. But you always get that kind of reaction from fans. Anyway, like, yeah, Livingston didn't start well. But then I thought they really kind of kicked things up a notch. 
a combination of that and I think a combination of United really not playing as well as they did. I thought in the opening 20 minutes or so, there was a couple of things. They, they were getting a bit more joys. Both teams were kind of going long in this game, uh, but they were getting some joys out of that. But also... No uh, one no one played... Uh, so, it's, you'll come on to Livingston, they, they did at times, but this is certainly the first 50 minutes. It was so... The game as a whole was so error-strewing and I had to go and look at the uh, like the pass accessory because I was like, I'm not sure a team's managed to put three passes together because it was bounced to get it bounced around someone make a tackle win back possession they would get the ball and then they would be tackled or they would have a mistouch or they play a rubbish pass so it was just kind of like turnover after turnover after turnover I, I thought that Levy looked I, I thought Levy looked okay in the moments where sorry Dundee United looked okay in the moments where they had Sporla kind of getting forward Nicky Clark kind of dropping and those two kind of interlinked a couple of times they've done that about two or three occasions in opening 20-25 minutes and that was kind of that was the only really thing they had going for them other than trying to hit Shanklin with a, with a long ball mm. but even then in the early going he was having a little bit of joy at that I think he had a couple he had a really nice chest pass at one point and maybe another one or two times when he managed to do enough to kind of put off the defenders but from that point forward you, you, know, you, you, can, you can tell Dan United are fucked when you were going I had a really nice chest pass as one of their best moments of the game <laughs> Oh well, yeah, yeah. Because what I was going to say is that from that point forward, they were just absolutely bullied by Livingston's centre halves. All United seemed to have was a long ball that would just come straight back. Levy would do similar, but Livingston are just much better at playing that type of game, and they play it in a way that's not necessarily that terrible to watch. They yeah. knock it long, the ball sticks, and then all of a sudden you have like three or four guys just like running, either running either towards the ball or running off the ball and then they can kind of play from there and when they do get the ball in the final third and they make it stick they're not a bad team to watch and you had Definitely. you had guys like Pittman Forrest especially mm-hmm. uh, Robinson had a good game probably could have probably should have scored in the first half yep. and Tiffany again kind of somebody who I've talked up last week again he was somebody who kind of threw his diminutive stature around to, to the best effect possible and also the fact that he's got some pace as well means he can be kind of he can not only kind of help the ball stay up there he can also be one of those guys that's kind of hard to pick up as a defender because he's darting about all over the place yeah I was impressed with Tiffany seeing bits of him last week he was excellent last week I'm impressed with his role in the game on Friday he looks like someone who, if he's a striker, would be quite a good um, partner for, for, a, for another striker who's maybe a bit more in the box, uh, uh, who's, a, who's a bit more of a goal threat or just a, a simple facilitator. Uh, some of his movements really good. Still, it's, it's early days to look at him as a, as a potential goal scorer. But he, he does seem intelligent with what he wants to do. I think he understands what's required of him for, for the Livingston team because when he do get in the final third with uh, Pittman, just their energy in the final third is a huge difference when you compare them to uh, to, to the Dundee United. And Alan Forrest has really come on to come onto the game. Quite like look of him, and I know he switched wings at times against United, but look of him and Serrano as a partnership going forward on the left-hand side. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the Forrest is certainly... I wasn't too sure of him in the first few games, but he's certainly mm. looked like he's now kind of bedded in the top flight and yeah, has found his footing. It was always going to be an adapt, uh, adaption period for Forrest because he spent so long at Championship and League One level. I don't think he has played at uh, Premiership level at all. So his first uh, first time there. And then he's coming into a team where they've Livingston have kind of switched it. They're playing a bit more with a bit more width. They didn't cross the ball a lot last season. They're crossing the ball a bit more this season. And the Livingston themselves have been in a bit of a uh, um, kind of bit of a 
not wouldn't say evolution, but changing times of Lyndon Dykes going and just having to uh, adapt to that themselves. The, the one charger was throw United, so it didn't play well. But I thought they were, and I don't typically I don't like to throw this around too often because I think it's too easy for supporters to say this about about teams when you're when you're beaten by a side that are you know on a, on a similar level to you or you think you're better than them. Then fans will always say the team was outfought kind of thing, and the players didn't look like they had the same sort of kind of determination or hunger to win the game as opposition. I thought that clearly mm-hmm. about United in this game. I thought that they really were kind of weak-willed throughout a lot of this. Pretty much after going 1-0 up, they just seemed to lose every single battle. Livingston were sweeping up every single second ball. It was quite pitiful, to be honest, the, the performance they put in. Yeah, oh, massively so. They, they lacked any sort of composure. And a lot of people, when they talk about players having balls, it's like it's charging around, it's going into challenges. But just getting on the ball and putting your foot on it and trying to bring a bit of composure, kind of steadying the team, there was none of that. It's, I think this, the second, the winning goal for Livingston summed up with Edwards, a comical miss kick backwards. And it's so half-hearted as well. His, his entire yeah. body shape, like when he does it, and then even when he realises he's missed it, he doesn't immediately kind of panic in a way that you would expect a defender to do in that situation and go, oh shit, I need to get back here and try and make up for this. He just kind of lazily turns. I know he's mm. kind of thinking that Connolly might deal with it. It's a one-on-one with the opposing striker. You should at least get back quick enough to, to try and cover because if he does that, Livingston might not score. Yeah, and then Connell himself is quite indecisive, doesn't really deal with it. I know it was a tricky ball, but he was caught in two minds deal with it. I understand why United fans are very sceptical that he was playing ahead of Reynolds because Reynolds had this good start to the season. He was on the bench. But going back to, you talked about them being uh, shite bags, there was, there was two moments quite close together. Was I think, I think it was Jamie Robson involved. Callum Butcher kicked the ball in Jamie, uh, Jamie Robson's face. And you think, right, this is it's moments like these where uh, players usually just get right, right, sort this out. This is embarrassing. And then I don't know if it was as soon after that's that quick after Butcher kicked the ball in his face again. It was just, it was just comical. Just, I, if I was a United fan, I would be embarrassed watching that because it was so the, the quality was so so poor, just for, uh, kind of throughout their team. I, I, yeah, it was it was just really tough to watch for United because. I've, I was a big uh, I was really positive for United at the start of the season and ever since I tweeted Dundee United are the team I've enjoyed watching the most so far this season like the midfield three set up Bolton is exciting Reynolds is a surprise and plenty of promising youth players involved they've picked up four points from a possible 18 since then and all everything I said there there was there, complete opposite yeah well Bolton's, the, Bolton's now Bolton's now right back they don't play with a three in the middle anymore no. <laughs> they're not good to watch it was it was just it was just so it was just so so turgid and I think I maybe probably been a bit too high harsh on Livingston because you actually you you look back because I went back and watched bits bits of the game watched uh, the highlights and Livingston create some good chances they should have they should have uh, they should have scored um, potentially from three set pieces in the second half certainly two Ambrose's header was uh, comical yes. where he just he no idea what he's trying students. to do there. And Nicky Devlin really should have scored as well. Yeah. Uh, one uh, question I've got to ask you. Is it a coincidence that Livingston have won their last two games and Marvin Bartley has played well in both games? No, I don't think I don't think so. He's such a... 
and just such a re- well, I was going to say reliable, but it's not been reliable so far this season. He's, but when he is, he's, he's such a platform in midfield. And I think Holt, I was actually been uh, impressed with Holt because he again brings kind of fits fits into two sides of the the game. He's going to tuck in beside Bartley and give them give the defence protection, give them something to build on, but also look willing to kind of step forward and be one of those energetic players uh, like the four they've got ahead and I thought he was he was quite bright when he, when he got on the ball and he was he was shifting it just want to go back to Bartley that so he he puts in the cross for the mm-hmm. the equaliser but he also he won the ball he won the he picked up the loose ball in the centre of the park and he also played the quick pass down the line for Devlin which helped them win the corner and that's that's what's been so great about him at Livingston for his tenure and what he was, what we're kind of missing from him earlier in the season, but he wasn't really doing much on the defensive end, and he he certainly wasn't getting forward as, as often as he was last season. But he seems to have. I wonder if it's just certain players just getting affected more by the kind of lock, lockdown and shutdown and not playing football for ages more than others kind of thing. It's like going that long. Maybe for a, a midfielder who does kind of rely on his athleticism and, and his pace a bit. Uh, maybe just not playing football, competitive football for six months means that he's going to take longer to get up to speed. Yeah, it's interesting you mention that because when I spoke to him for the interview for the podcast, he talked. We we talked about it was during the kind of height of lockdown, and we talked about players uh, looking after themselves and how they're keeping fit. Because I seen that he mentioned on Twitter, he was kind of slagging people's times, like putting up their five k times and going. Basically, doesn't really um, correlate with football fitness. And he was saying he's not like a runner. It's just it's being on the training ground and actual uh, doing uh, like football fitness. That's how he gets fit. So yeah. he kind of said he was. Uh, I'm sure he. I'm sure he said I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I'm sure he said that it wouldn't be until he's back playing football and after a couple of weeks that he's going to start uh, getting fitness again. So th- I think that's that's a very good point. Just one more thing before I move on. Uh, Poplatnik, Matty Poplatnik. What the fuck is he doing? Shoot! 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 <laughs> I don't know who could do the game in sports side, but they said that I did well to square it. No, he didn't. That was a fucking stupid thing to do. That was, it was absolutely, absolutely bonkers when I seen that. I was like, that's a really, really tricky pass. Could have been a really tricky pass. Go yourself. It was just, it, yeah, it was Ed, just Edwards, so, so strange. Edwards nearly still intercepts it. He's only like, mm, a, like yeah. about an inch away for getting something on it. A competent defender would have intercepted it. <laughs> Nobody knew that, to be fair. So I'll just pass it through this guy. He's a hologram. Right, let's move on to the game at Pataudry. Uh, another last minute. This one was very late, like winner mm-hmm. from Lewis Ferguson. Um, but this one, well, the, the three points were certainly deserved at Tanadice. I think St Mirren could probably feel a bit harsh, uh, harshly done in this game, could it not? Mm, so I, I, can see, I can see why people say that, just because the effort they put in. But fuck me, they did not challenge they not did not um build on the goal from Erahon which was an absolute fantastic strike and they didn't um didn't test Joe Lewis. So I understand why people were saying oh it's it's, it's unlucky on St Mirren because they put a lot into the game in the defensive sense with the organization the work rate they put in but they were set up almost to lose when they did go ahead because they dropped so deep. Jim Goodwin didn't, I know he only had, I think, three outside, uh, outfield subs. He didn't make one sub in the game. And you see well, that we're going to get on, I was going to wait to get on this, but we could just go on it now. What the, what the actual hell is he doing? Like, you're, you're playing away to, to Aberdeen. Your wide players have ran themselves into the ground, basically. Like, Mar- Marius and 
Uh, McGrath. McGrath. Both of them, both of them have gone up and down ninety minutes. Marius, especially the amount of ground he must have covered must have been incredible. You could, it was so obvious that they were out on their feet. Yes, he has a lack of options off the bench, which again, well, I'll, I'll get to that actually. I'll we'll park that for a second to what I was going to say there. So he's got a lack of options on the bench, but he still has Ilkay Durmas. He still has Kyle McAllister. Mm-hmm. Ready made. Bring them on. Fresh legs and attack to help the counter attack, to help keep the ball up the park, to make sure that Aberdeen aren't just going to keep coming. What What is he doing? And I don't want to accuse somebody of this without kind of any sort of basis. And I don't know Goodwin, I don't know anybody close to him, so I don't know if this is what he's doing. But fans are speculating, and you can understand why, that he is just doing that to prove a point to the board because he's not happy about the McGuinness being sold. Mm. That only naming four subs in the first place and then refusing to bring any of them on. Because what other reason is it? Is there for her doing that? It is. This it comes back to a, a manager who is. I was impressed with to be uh, to begin with. Who's now coming to the point where he's almost fearful, too defensive, and he's thinking right. This shape is worth. Let, let's just hold on. Let's just. This shape has worked. The shape has worked. It's frustrated Aberdeen being competitive. Let's just hold on. Let's just hold on. I wouldn't go as far as saying uh, it was. It was scared management, but I think there was a certain degree of fear, maybe, that he's going right. Just, just keep it. I don't kind of don't want to change it to um, upset this. Uh, upset the system. Upset the um, organization. But so that it comes back to it's like, but you're kind of ruining your own chances of actually snatching three points showing a bit of um, showing some balls and showing some um, being proactive and trying to add a bit of uh, attacking giving your attack about catalyst yeah it was just an absolute nonsense decision like I get that when you're playing well you don't want to kind of upset the apple cart and you think you can maybe you maybe kind of change things a little too much but when you're when players are just so obviously kind of out on their feet you need to bring you need to bring on fresh legs and I I can't see how it would have changed the game plan too much to swap Dermis for Marius Mm -hmm. somebody who's going to run a lot who doesn't have much of a final ball I mean they're pretty much the same player anyway yeah is there any, uh, Erehon, uh, we should probably talk about his goal while we're still on the subject to St Martin. Uh, absolute belter and had a good game apart from that as well. Yes, exactly. He was, he was my man. In the, so where well-praised Jim Goodwin was, how he set up to begin with, I uh, thought it was, thought St Martin looked a lot better. And you look at Cammy McPherson and Ethan Erehon, compare them to some of the weekends where they've played uh, Sam Foley and Nathan S- uh, Sheridan in the middle of midfield. Sheridan had a better game uh, on Friday. That's because he had two guys who um, can run, uh, can bring a lot of energy. But more than that, they were just, they brought composure to St. Midden's uh, Midden's midfield. uh, McPherson was looking to drive forward. Erehon was, showed a bit more intelligence when he kind of sat. He broke up play. He stepped, kind of stepped in, intercepted a lot. I felt really sorry for him for the first goal where, he had uh, Aberdeen's first goal where he'd read the pass, he'd, he'd uh, intercepted it, but just the way it kind of bounced off his leg straight to Watkins, it was it, it was unfortunate. But uh, both McPherson and uh, Erhon were absolutely brilliant. And it goes back to Goodwin, his team selection, his recruit, recruitment, lack of depth. Playing Cameron McPherson out of position, he's playing him wide, he's played him right back. It's like he should be in the centre of the pitch. And Erhon, who... Was a he was obviously fielded at left back. He's now in his uh, correct position. That 
you'd like to see these two players be given a bit more uh, time together because they were so, so impressive against Aberdeen. When you look at Aberdeen, Ross McCrory and Lewis Ferguson have had so much praise, so much so that um, some people have been tipping them they should be in the Scotland squad, but they've had so much praise and they've had such an influence over Aberdeen and how they've been playing that Cam McPherson and Erin went up there and matched them, probably bettered them, by just bringing their uh, enthusiasm, energy to match that, which you have to Aberdeen, but also the, um, the, the qualities which sometimes could, can be lacking in young players, but uh, kind of intelligence, uh, game management and uh, composure and calmness, which they all had. So other than not dominating the middle of the park, which they have done quite a lot in, in recent matches, what were the reasons for Aberdeen failing to kind of see this one out with a degree of comfort, which is what we kind of assumed? <laughs> It was seen a few folk mentioned it was it was kind of one of those games where they're like going back to I think when they got beat by two, two and Ham by Hamlin at Petardry where they were just expected to to cruise it and they didn't I I felt that with when you take when you, when you look at how influential that ceremony field's been and it's been matched then they have to find different ways to to work around it and right I thought was lively but he. Uh, I thought St Mirren did really well to nullify the space and, and stop him from playing. Niall again was uh, a waste of a jersey. He was terrible. I forgot he was playing. And you look at how important Matty Kennedy is for Aberdeen because he can play that wing-back role, be an attacking threat, but that also allows Hedges to play in, in central. And I think him and, so him and Wright have a good... Uh, they're on the same wavelength. McGinn was not on that same wavelength. Then you look at the certain midfielders when they're not able to get the ball and play through the midfield, which Aberdeen have done a lot more this season. It ends up with Ash Taylor going long and it just, Watkins is a good player, but he's not a target man in that sense. And while we're on the subject of Watkins, actually, I've seen the Aberdeen fans every time it seems to be the Aberdeen aren't winning or Watkins isn't scoring there's somebody saying ah he's not a forward he's not a forward he's a winger it's like people just latch onto this don't they mm. it's like because this is where he's playing a lot of his career but we've seen Marlon Watkins in Scotland before we've seen him play as a winger for the rest we've seen him play up front he's much better as a forward than Scottish football so please shut the fuck up the guy is a forward just because he's not scoring maybe that week he's de- I, I certainly think he's talents lie through the centre of the park and oh absolutely and he's, yeah, because a lot of it kind of, it's his, it's his movement off the ball, it's his hard work, the, the way he closes down defenders, and he's a decent finisher as well, and he's not a particularly great crosser, so you want him inside rather than outside. Yeah, that, absolutely. I think uh, Watkins has been very good for Aberdeen, and been really impressed with him as a striker. I think he can work as a front man, as long as you just don't hit long balls to him, or as as, as a partnership. See, when Ed, Edmondson came on, he had a... Uh, a big role in Ferguson's winner where he was dropping deep and turning and he's got that pace and he's got a lot of attributes you want from your centre forward yes right anything else to add before we finish no um, oh, other than Johnny Hayes every time I watch him is just you're just you're watching Johnny Hayes and thinking the yeah, Celtic could probably still do with him <laughs> Uh, to be fair, it looks like they're going to bring in a left back, uh, an attacking left back, before the close of play today. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to predict he is uh, he is Humpty. <laughs> I'm going to predict he's better than Greg Taylor. As a mm. wing back, I seen I seen some. I think it was a Celtic blog um, saying that their headline was Celtic looked to bring in Uruguay and Greg Taylor. 
<laughs> Did you mean that as a bad thing or were they, were they meaning just competition? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm more leaning towards the former. Okay, well, um, I suppose we'll have to just wait and find out, won't we? Yes. Not a couple of weeks before the next uh, domestic football, well, league football anyway, the Betfred Cup's obviously next his week. Debut could be, his debut could be the old form game. Oh, here we go. Here we go. It's either that or Greg Taylor starts and the fans go fucking mental because Greg Taylor's starting. And if they win, be- win. Or lose, lose, however you look at it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Your unique viewpoint of the world. <laughs> <laughs> right, cheers, Joe. No worries. Catch you later. See and now for the final match of the weekend, because of course the game between Kilmarnock and Motherwell. Motherwell, that was it. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. It <laughs> uh, postponed because of uh, Kelly's uh, numerous uh, players testing positive for COVID-19 and then the, the whole kind of squad being told to self-isolate. Obviously, they, they could not play the, their match and... That means we're just left with Rangers, Ross County, and uh, as you probably heard already, Tony Anderson's going to help me with that. Tony, I've not. This is a game I've really not seen much of. I only saw the highlights. Uh, I've not even managed to read too much upon it, other than a, a couple of things. So you're basically going to have to lead us all through this. How was how was the match, Tony? What did you oh. think of the game? Um, oh, it was it was a really quite boring game, if I'm being brutally honest. For I literally just finished watching it. Um, County started with a, a back five. Uh, with Morris, Donaldson and Evkoviti all playing at centre-half. So uh, Reid was playing left left back. I'm really not going to call it left wing back. Uh, and uh, Watson found his way out of the team and uh, the sort of Terrace podcast favourite, Charles Cook, took up the, the right back uh, slot for, for Ross County. Uh, and then Peyton Tilson and Draper playing centrally, maybe Gardine. So it's probably like a 5-4-1, Gardine playing on the left, uh, and then Stewart up front, nobody really playing on the right. Um, Charles Cook was left with a, a real hell of a lot of responsibility. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest, Fowler, he'd done all right. You know what I mean? He'd done, <laughs> he'd done, he'd done bloody all right. Um, Charles Cook, I would probably say he was maybe along with Harry Payton, um, certainly County's best performers uh, Stuart worked very hard but <clears throat> as you can probably imagine without watching the game got very little change out of it and he saw he only had really one good opportunity Stuart and unfortunately his touch let him down really badly uh, yeah I, it was it was hard to see exactly what he was going for I, I could really figure that out I was like why is he why is he just basically passed it back to the goal there I was thinking he was like he seemed like he got caught in two minds, but I'm not entirely sure what those two minds were. <laughs> yeah, because it was it was a really it was the one time that I think uh, sort of they caught Jack sleeping uh, on the ball when it got past into him, and Draper sort of won it, and then they linked up well to move forward in the park, and then Draper played in it, and I was obviously finally for once sat up in my seat uh, during this match, and then even though I knew they didn't score, <laughs> but then Stuart's touch completely like I'm doing it and it never, it never came off. So it was really I'm, frustrating for them at that point. I wondered whether he wanted to hit it first time and that was his idea, but the pass just wasn't quite in stride. And then so he kind of had to quickly manoeuvre his legs. He should have manoeuvred them quicker and still managed to take a touch, a decent touch that at least allowed him to have control of the ball. You know, not necessarily one that would have kept it perfectly in stride for him because, mm-hmm. you know, let's face it, it's a Scottish football. Uh, but at least one that he wasn't exactly just giving it right back to John McLaughlin. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, um, again, John McLaughlin, you've brought him up there. That was sort of like the 
So the biggest shock for me is him back in. So I don't know what the plan is here. And, and is the idea that they're going to be, are these going to be rotating Rotating goalies. <laughs> does this sound like something you want, does it? No, it does It just sounds pretty pointless. And the fact is, you've got McLaughlin there. He's just signed. He signed happily to be back up. So, and he's played plenty. If you, don't, if you really do want to play McGregor over him, just do it. Like yeah. I don't think I don't think McLaughlin's going to be smashing your doors down, uh, demanding to be playing because um, otherwise he's off his head because he knew exactly what he was coming into. He's, he was the backup to sort of Rangers legend who over the last sort of couple of years has been sort of really really of a really high standard for them. Uh, and yeah, maybe it's unfair that McLaughlin got taken out the team, but once you've done it, I think you've done it. And I, I, I don't say I think these sort of little games and then just I just think it causes pressure that doesn't need to be there that if McLaughlin makes a mistake at some point which if he plays the whole season is inevitable and McGregor then I think you've already then you've got prob- like these problems that don't really have to exist will yeah. be there I don't know but maybe Gerard Want thinks he deserves the minutes no no I think you're, I think you're right though that's, that's exactly what's going to happen as soon as one of these guys makes a mistake every fan is just going to be saying like why was he playing in the first place why yeah. did he not play this other guy who's not made a mistake this season so it just, uh, like, it just I think it's just it's tempting fate that doesn't really need to be there in a season that you really don't want to be tempting fate you want it to be as simple and as straightforward as possible uh, Rangers also took out uh, sort of Hadji from uh, the midweek game and Jordan Jones continued playing. Uh, unfortunately for Jones, I felt he got a bit lost in the game. He couldn't really find anything. Obviously, you know how Rangers play. The wingers were really, really inverted. Kent was basically playing centrally. Barisic was bombing down the left. Tavernier bombing down the right. But it wasn't like Jones and Tavernier were really linking up at all. It was mainly just that uh, Jones was sort of like, I was noticing he was just going into the box. And then the box crosses were coming in. And that doesn't suit him at all. Uh, so he just the game just completely passed them by. But Rangers were really quite disappointing for me. They were slow. They were sluggish. It was absolutely the proverbial we played in Europe on Thursday night in a big sort of maybe quite an emotionally sapping game because um, they were so they were slow. They were boring. They were ponderous. Kamara looked was looking pretty lazy to be honest. He was. I know we always criticise him his ability to to run forward and to maybe make some sort of penetrative runs, but even just simple ones when he was there, like on the left hand side, he passed to Barisic, uh, and then Barisic should wait simply for him just to move forward so they could keep the ball. And he would just, but he, he wasn't doing it. You could see the frustration building in Barisic at that point. Um, in the first half. I think Ross County will be really pleased with that. They held their line really well, their shape with the five. They weren't getting dragged out at all, uh, especially even though Morelos, he got frustrated. Is not, not in a bad way, just obviously wanted to get involved in the game, so he was dropping deep. And I how, how was uh, Morelos' head in this, this game? Was it turned? Which, which uh, angle was it turned to? Maybe slightly to about 2pm, 2, 2 o'clock. <laughs> 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 um, I don't even it, know what that means in this analogy. <laughs> oh, dear dad, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Um, but he was, he was, uh, he was certainly working hard. He wanted to be involved in the game, but again, I said with Rangers playing so poorly, really getting to the byline, um, not getting many balls over the top, like all the things that Morelos would like in playoff, he wasn't really getting to do. And obviously, he was playing up against three sort of big guys in mean, Donaldson, 
Morris and if Kaviti, they were they, they they all played well. As I said, the best thing about Roscoe is that they all they were really disciplined. Uh, especially they conceded the penalty, which is a bit clumsy for Donaldson. It's the usual. Morelos goes down easy. Of course he does. We all know he does. But I'd say it's still a penalty. It's uh, so an angled ball from quite centrally deep um, from Tavernier. Just simple ball lofted over the top, and then Donaldson sort of bundles in the back of him, and he goes sprawling, um, and. Again, that'll be such a huge frustration for Ross County because that's um, that was really the only time they got in behind them. Um, Goldson had a good header that went just over from a corner. They had a few set pieces, but I'm struggling to think of any other time that I thought um, that they looked like they were shot. Kent, Kent had a decent strike that I'm not sure if it got deflected or saved, but I'm going to go for deflected because it would have been too good a save for Laidlaw to make. So but it went for a corner, so I'm going to go for... That it was a um, that it was a deflected effort. Um, Speaking of Laidlaw, very funny moment in the in the game where Callum Morris went absolutely mental at him after he nearly scored their own goal because Laidlaw. Well, it seemed like it seemed like he, so he heads the ball like no look does the no look header back to the goalie, which is always a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> it just goes past the post, and then I think he, he shouts. I think he says something to Laidlaw and it seems like Laidlaw says something back, and then he goes mental. So he's more reacting to whatever Laidlaw said. Well said. Uh, yeah, because it's it's a, a you didn't know really what was going on there. I think he's obviously expecting it to be. He could have just left it. Really, the ball yeah. just going over his head. He left it. But um, Charles Cook, there was a period um, in the first that all the best things that County had. And when I say best, on the scale of best, it's got really really low. It's a really low bar for the, like an attacking thing because County were awful going forward uh, like not not but you just what I mean they just never got the ball they never got enough Payton was busting a gut to support um, Stewart at times but it just wasn't happening and then they would get outnumbered they'd lose the ball it was like they worked extremely hard but in an attacking sense they just didn't take part in the game at all and that's what made it such a poor game is because Rangers had lots of the ball but weren't at it weren't zipping their passes it wasn't the usual one touch sort of football that we expect to see for Rangers. In my opinion, Rangers are the best team to watch in the league. Um, I'd say that in the last season, I still think it this season. Um, and they'll be delighted to get out of this game because normally the issues with Rangers is they, they lack a plan B, but that can both be looked at as a positive and a negative is that they, they really believe in the way they play football, but there's not like Celtic where Celtic can actually go which I think I imagine, I've not listened to obviously because you've been recording it, but I imagine you spoke about it. They can go into quite battering ram mode Celtic where it doesn't have to be pretty but they've got so many big hitters they can be physical they can switch it up they we just, always we just mainly talk about the fact that they always just manage to dig it out yeah uh, and, and it doesn't have to be pretty there's not in that, and they do play really good football a lot of the time but Celtic but with Rangers I never feel like they would dig it like they would normally they were pretty fortunate to get that penalty first half because that, that game would have went longer and longer without the goal I could picture how frustrated uh, the players that they've been and we probably saw elements of that last season especially in the second half of the season um, but yeah Charles Cook managed they won the ball in the centre midfield um, and Stewart managed to get out wide to Cook and then Cook managed to get a good touch uh, on the outside of Barisic and he flashed the ball across goal that was sort of the long and short of um, of Roscoe maybe again another one he battled down the right and he made a pass down the line but it got cut out but then bounced back off his knee and went through to Ross Stewart and he got he was in like space round but he made a poor decision honestly that would be the long and short of Ross County's sort of well they did have uh, they had a couple of tenders for set pieces that they should have mm. they should have scored one of them uh, at least 
one of them came at the, the first one called Donaldson's one came at one nil as well, and that was the kind of big opportunity to get something from the game. The second one, Morris, probably the easier chance he because Donaldson kind of has to do that perfect kind of header where he's you know he has to get a decent amount of power on it, but not too much to send it over the bar, which ultimately does. But you maybe can't glance it too much, so it's a mm. it's a tricky skill to do. Morrison's one, he's pretty much just alone. Like he can, he's got his like feet planted. He can, he should be getting it at least on target. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, to be fair, that one doesn't really matter. They were already two 0 down. It was already like an injury time anyway. Yeah. But, but at least it's. Uh, and it's. Is there anybody who played well for Rangers? Like <sighs> Tavernier was the uh, one. Tavernier, the, the Tavernier, Tavernier looked good. Him and him and Reed had a decent battle out there. I think uh, Reed. He'd done his best. It was similar, quite similar to Doig, where he was really sticking at it uh, and, and keeping up with him. He made a few decent blocks on him, but Tavernier would obviously get the better of him. And obviously, you think George, Josh Reed having to tuck inside a lot to try and stop any of the swarms into the box. Um, but as I think, I think with Jones not maybe linking up as well as you would expect, that took away from maybe Tavernier's performance. If Jones was more at it, I think, yes, you would have saw Tavernier might have got to the byline a bit more and got more from it. So I think he might have felt quite isolated. So yes, he performed quite well. He created the best chances for Rangers. He scored the penalty, uh, of course. But um, as I said, he would have felt quite isolated. I think he was getting a bit frustrated because so, Rangers players are so used to being able to have quick link-ups and movement and it just doesn't, happening this at all. They made a few changes. Um, in the second half, Morelos had a, a good chance. It was an incredible block from Donaldson uh, when it got cut back to Morelos and he was about to score. And then Morelos had another one where he cut inside and he tried to shape and put it in the top corner, but he blazed it over the bar. But I think saying that someone played well, I mean, the centre-halves were good, but they did nothing. You know, they had yeah. Goldson and Balogun, they just take the ball out and... Um, and pass so it's really we've spoken about this before I always find it quite um, tough to really analyse when the games are like this because the, the, the games just sort of exist and go in <laughs> exactly exactly the way that you, you you think they are and then with Rangers aren't they pinging it about and being really impressive then there's not much to say about them and like Ross County as I said they they done really well their organisational skills were good they, they sat back they, they didn't get sucked out they didn't go chasing men but the fact that they've done nothing in an attacking threat means I'm only judging them on the fact that they, they, they got their game plan, kind of. They could have held on for a nil-nil. But they, could have really. got, they could have got a one-all draw. Donaldson yeah. does better with that chance. Stuart yeah. does better with that chance. Could have got a one-all draw. So I suppose, yeah, you suppose you could say that uh, the operation was a success, but the patient died. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's unfair. It was unfair. That, the, the, the penalty was a stinger. And the fact that, as I said, the fact that Rangers got that goal uh, in the first half quite early and didn't grow into it just tell you that, that maybe a better team uh, a Hibs an Aberdeen even a Kilmarnock someone with a bit more match winners and uh, their team might have got a bit like would have troubled Rangers I didn't, they didn't seem like they had many gears to go through in this game as I say they, they were just in and out they'll be delighted uh, they might not say it out loud but they'll be delighted to get out of that with a 2-0 Barisic though went off injured and um, apparently didn't play particularly well either before like no. No, he, he didn't. He, like, crossing was off. Uh, as I said, he didn't have anything to really do defensively. And when he did, Charles Cook was actually causing him a bit of bother, which is seems its like own issue. It seems like he must be still... I don't know if it's the same injury or not, but it seems like he must be still struggling with whatever's kind of been hampering him recently. And that's that's not very good when the, the next game for Rangers is the old form game. Yeah, that's a big... Because Bassey looks like a, 
a decent player, but he's never not Barisic. Uh, no, but Bassi will be the guy who'll come in. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Though he's not Barisic. Yeah, he's not Barisic. He looks like he's 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 quick. He's strong. Uh, he'll get up and down, but he doesn't have anywhere near the sort of cultural ability of of a Barisic like the and just. Barisic is so in tune with Ranger style and the in the way that they play is that someone like that's impossible to even if the other player is maybe even as good as Barisic, which he's not. But the fact that Barisic is such a integral part of the style uh, means that Rangers will lose quite a lot. Just like if they lose Tavernier on the other side, they're just the, the whole game plan is designed around them. Um, and uh, Hilton came on for for Ross County, which I completely missed. For I missed that Jermaine Hilton had, had signed for Ross County. He came on uh, maybe with about 20 minutes to go and they probably went to a 5-3-2 or maybe a 5-2-3 where they had Hilton and Gardine supporting, supporting Stewart and then they just had Tilson and uh, Payton in the middle. Um, he didn't get much change out of anything, but I just I saw him coming on and I was like, all oh, right, oh, that's Jermaine Hilton. When did this happen? How did I miss it? I, I sat in a chat room all day with about 10 people who are involved heavily in Scottish football, some of them journalists, <laughs> one of, a fan of one of the clubs. I was like, I don't read this. I've totally, completely missed it. But there he is. He's on and, he, and he's playing. I think that might be quite a smart signing. For us um, maybe. Yeah. Right, you said this match uh, was just existing. Let's uh, put this existence of this podcast to an end. Uh, thank you oh, very Bar- much. Barker got a goal. Sorry, I never actually mentioned his goal. He got the ball over the top. Um, and nothing that's, that's, plenty, that's plenty right. of done stuff. <laughs> he, he, he gets slagged off so much on here that I thought like, <laughs> the one time he scores a goal, we just peruse over it. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> Until he sorts that haircut out, that's exactly what's going to happen. Right, thank you very much for joining me, Tony. And thank you to everybody for listening. Be sure to hit us up on Twitter and uh, Instagram. We're on both Terrace Podcasts. It's easy to find. And we're also loads of other content you can find us uh, the patreon patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast where we are uh, Tony and myself are about to go record one now uh, just basically kind of recapping the season so far what we've kind of liked about this campaign what we've not liked and that should be a bit of fun so make sure to check that out right cheers goodbye cheers sports social podcast network it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.